Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. That's what peace is. The fears and confusion, they're set aside when you realize who Jesus is. Do we have questions? Sure. Did the disciples have questions? Yes. But when you see the face of Jesus, those questions go away. That's what the gospel is truly about. Thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday, 2021. In today's message, Pastor Randy reminds us of God's love for us and his invitation to come home. Turn in your Bible now to John chapter 20. Here's Pastor Randy. Welcome to New Hope. We thought, um, do you remember a year ago when they said we're going to be shut down for a couple weeks and we're like, well, that can't last very long. Sure did, didn't it? It's, uh, it's Easter. It's a special day. It's about, some people, it's about eggs, bunnies. For, for some people, it's about ham. How many of y'all are gonna overeat today? You already know it. You know it. You're planning on it. Okay, that's called gluttony. That's a sin. All right. How many of y'all are not gonna overeat today? That's called deception. It's not a sin, but it's something else, all right? It's also about March Madness, golf. We always know the Masters is just around the corner when we get to, when we get to Easter. Pastels, I don't exactly understand the pastels. I wore some today, but I don't exactly understand it. And, and pollen, I mean, that's a, it's a rite of passage for us in Georgia. Uh, it, it, it seemed like it was worse this year to me, but, and, and maybe a little early, I don't know. Um, but we're close to it. We, we dress up on Easter, don't we? Uh, years ago, I, I wore a suit to Grace Snellville on Easter, and I had three people say, uh, welcome. Uh, let me show you where the visitor table is. It's a little bit like Christmas, but it's also got some deeper things to it, just like Christmas does. Easter and Christmas are the two holidays that the church celebrates that if you understand, if you understand what happens at Christmas and Easter, it's a deep understanding of love. Our sin is taken care of on Good Friday. But Easter and Christmas are incredibly personal. There's something deeper. Let's read together from the gospel according to the beloved. And also, as we've been learning, the fastest of the disciples. John was very proud of the fact that he was the fastest disciple. Beginning at chapter 20, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. If I were Jesus, I would have said, boo. <laughs> but he said, peace be with you. And then look at this, notice this. He said to Thomas, there's a turning here. There's a focusing here, not on all the disciples, but on Thomas who wasn't there before. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. There are some deeper things here. Back up just a few verses to verse 19. 
on the evening of that first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Here they are. All the disciples are gathered together. The doors are locked and Jesus came and stood among them. The, the gospel writers are, are putting into words something that's just hard to grasp. There was all kinds of prophecy about the fact that Jesus would come and would be this covenant sacrifice, that Jesus would come and go and, be, and die, even the method of his death. In great detail, the prophecy was there, but there wasn't much about what he would be like afterwards. And here is this risen Lord. Here he is this, in, this, in this body that is different. And you can almost sense this struggle of explaining what this is because here is Jesus there behind these locked doors, locked because they're afraid. Remember, all that they were is now gone. Jesus had already talked to Thomas and the other disciples about he was preparing a place for them, but they were confused about what all that meant. And here they are behind locked doors. Their world is shattered. Everything that they had hoped for was gone. And here they are afraid. And it says that Jesus comes and he's with them. The, this Jesus is not glowing. He was that way at the transfiguration when he's with Moses and Elijah. Here he is. But now he's in the flesh. Here's this Jesus who can come through locked doors, but he's also this Jesus that can fish, can cook, can talk. He's, he's otherworldly, but yet he's Jesus and they know it's him. He stands among them. This, this wrestling of who Jesus is was what the early church and some of the, the, the heresies, even to this day, the, the false ideas of God wrestle with this. Who is this Jesus? Is he, is he God or is he man? And the heresies always fall in one of those two places that they say, well, he's God and he can't have any part of man or he's, he's man. He can't be anything of God. And if you try to connect God and man without Jesus, you're going to fail. But in between, in between here is Jesus, fully God, fully man. This, this person who has come, the incarnation of who God is, is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. The, the Bible talks about his humanity and his deity. The Bible lays it out as it happens. Who's he found by? This morning, Sheba taught our sunrise service, and she said, here I am, I'm a woman, I'm teaching, but who is the one who finds Jesus first? It's women. In the ancient Near East culture, women could not testify in court. If you're just trying to make a proof of a point to put women's testimony in would make no sense. You're not trying to prove something, but they're not trying to prove something because there's nothing left to prove because they got a risen Lord. Amen, church? So they tell the story the way it happened and the ladies come and find Jesus. The ladies left the security of the locked doors, but the men are still hiding. The ladies are laughing. The guys are not laughing right now. But fear not, men, because next Saturday we have a new thing for men. We actually have a slide for it. It's called P3. 
and we're gonna be gathering together as men. We're gonna be studying together and we're gonna grow in our courage and in our love. It's protectors and providers. What's the third P? Protector, provider, priest. We're gonna start that. Our men, actually, do we have a picture of what the guys did yesterday? Do we have that picture? Our guys went, our guys went down to Noonan and with chainsaws and trucks and, and all of that, and they went and they cared for uh, the people of Noonan. We can give those guys a hand. Thanks for going and doing that. But these men stayed away. These men stayed locked up. These men were back, and the women went, and they could find this one who would be mistaken for a gardener, fully human, yet fully God. And he says, peace be with you, 19, continuing. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you again. I would have said, boo. But here he is, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Everything is back now. Everything has changed. That word for peace, it's the word Irene. It was my mother's name was Irene. It doesn't just mean peace. It means to join again. It means to be set as one again. Peace is not just about we're not at war. No, that's not, that's not peace. That's surrender. Peace is things are right. Things are moving in a different direction. Things are moving in a way that they're going to be different now. We did baptisms this morning, and one of the baptisms that we did was a, a young man. He's told me several times he's a young man because I was in a group with, of guys, and I said, you know, here's the reality. 50 years from now, 40 years from now, we're all gone. And he said, just a minute, Pastor, I'm only 33. I sat down with him and I said, how's God changing your life? And he said, I used to be a bigot. And God's changed that in me. From the inside out. I'm not like that anymore. My best friends are people who look different than the way I look. That's what, that's what God does. He makes it right again. He, he brings, he brings that, that joining again today. That's what peace is. The fears and confusion, they're set aside when you realize who Jesus is. Do we have questions? Sure. Did the disciples have questions? Yes. But when you see the face of Jesus, those questions go away. That's what the gospel is truly about. And then he says to them that they would receive, they would forgive, they would go. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace with you, be with you. Why does he say it again? Because he's getting ready to give them a command. He's getting ready to give them a direction. Jesus has gone to the cross for this gospel, for this faith, for this truth, and now he's going to send them out. So this is not the peace of don't be afraid, I'm here, be at comfort with me. No, now the peace be with you because he says this, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you, but it's gonna be okay. Don't be afraid, little church. I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He empowers them. He gives them vision, and then he gives them power. And he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. 
If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. This is what he's saying. The gospel is gonna go forward. It's gonna change people's lives and I'm gonna use you to do this. It's the same call. That our call is to go out and to bring people back to this aspect of home. We're called to engage in the world. It reminds me of the old Charles Wesley hymn, A Charge to Keep I Have. And you guys remember this song growing up? A God to glorify and never dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. We've been given this call, this, this challenge. We've been called into this. This is the, the gospel writers talk about this, this, this worldliness, this risen Jesus who has this body that can go through locked doors calls us to go into a world and engage in a world. We've been talking a lot about what is this call that God has on this church? We believe this. He's called us to go to our schools. He's called us to engage in the world. And this is the thing that I, I'm so humbled to pastor this church. Every time we put a call in front of this church, it answers whether it's our little kids or it's our adults. Every time, this is what he's called us to do, to step into a world that's in desperate need of knowing what grace is, of knowing what hope is, and we see it over and over and over again. But what about Thomas, this one who doubts? Verse 24, this one who would never believe. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, I really don't know why he was called the twin. Don't ask me afterwards. Was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He had missed it. He had missed the big thing. Everything would have been different had he been there, but he missed it. I was singing at Intersection last year, and, and I, was looking at, I was looking at my maps. I wasn't texting. I was at the intersection. I was that first car. Don't you hate it when you're like the second or third car, and the first guy is on his phone texting? But I wasn't. I was looking at my maps. The light was red, and apparently someone made a turn in front of another car, all I know is I heard a big loud noise and I looked up and I saw a car in the air. And it landed just a few feet from my car and, and I waited there. I made sure everybody was okay and stuff. Police officer said, what happened? I said, I have no idea. I just saw the car in the air. It landed. I know that. I saw it land. I have no idea what caused it. This is Thomas. He's missed it. And his, his answer here is an interesting one because it, it would seem odd that he would disbelieve all of the rest of the disciples. I wonder, I wonder, this is my question for Thomas when I see him. Did he not believe or did he feel left out? A lot of people today say they've, they've stepped away from their faith or whatever, sometimes I wonder, is it that they don't believe or they feel left out? They feel abandoned. If you go to a dance, there's two kinds of people at a dance. Now, I don't dance. It's not theological. It's practical. Um, when I dance, people get hurt. 
I want to dance. I try, I'm actually watching these videos on YouTube trying to learn how. But, but it's not very good. Anita just, like, I'm like, honey, teach me how to dance. She's like, I can't teach you how to dance. You just do it. I'm like, that's, no, I don't. I'd like to. But if you go to a dance, there's two kinds of people, and there's people dancing, and there's people around the wall going, this is so dumb. But the reality is, they love to be on the floor. That's why they came. But they don't know what to do, and they feel like if I went out there, it would just be weird. I would, it would feel awkward, and, and I, I want to be a part of this, but, it, but, I, but I can't. I wonder if that's the thing with Thomas here. Did he just feel left out? This is the thing that I would just say to all of you, whether you're here or you're watching online. And by the way, it is so good to see so many of you. People that I hadn't seen for a year. There's so many people, and, and I think it's you. I can't tell for sure because you got your masks on, but I think it's you. And it's so good to see you. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you guys that are watching online are continuing to join with us in this journey. But I wonder if for Thomas... He felt like he didn't matter. I wonder if for Thomas, he felt like he wasn't essential. Obviously, the rest of the disciples were important, but he wasn't. We've had a a year of being home. We've had a year of being very close. But I think being in a place is not what makes you understand that you're home. I wonder if for Thomas, he felt like He no longer had a home. His faith had been devastated, but now Jesus has come back, but he's not part of the mix. I wonder if that's what it was for Thomas. But as that great theologian Mark Stewart tells us, we actually do have a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, a big, big table with lots and lots of food. There's a big, big yard where we can play football. It's a big house. I'm quoting an audio adrenaline song, if you don't know that. (laughs) Home. That's what Jesus had talked about before. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And we talked last week about it wasn't a physical place. That had been done, but he was going to secure that. I, when I think of home, I don't think so much about 1620 Castle Point or 675 River Oak or even 204 East Linden Street back in Kentucky or 1600 England Avenue in Orlando or Leah Lane uh, up in Indiana. I don't really think of that. When I think of home, the first thought that goes back to my head is two old houses. I've got some pictures of them here. We're just gonna show you. This, This was my grandparents' house. This was actually right before it got torn down. It was sold and Asbury University built something there. But I remember being in this old house the, these people, let me, let me just show you a couple other pictures here. This, is, this, was my, this was my Granny Randall's house. That was my mom outside that house. It had a stove in the middle of it in the wintertime. It was 1,000 degrees right next to that stove, and everywhere else around the house was minus 30. I mean, that, but, it, but that big stove. Um, this is, so I come from a family of seven Seven uh, uncles and aunts, seven uncles and aunts on one side, 10 on the other. This is the smaller family um, here. And then, uh, and that's my grandma right there in the middle, the one with the big smile. Let me see. Show me the next picture. That's her when she got married. Now, that's my grandpa. My grandpa looked the same when he was 20 and when he was 99. 
he never ever, I mean, he never changed. He looked exactly the same when he was 99, right before he died. He looked exactly the same. And then I got one, this is my grandma Randolph. When I, when I think of home, I think of those two old home places. My granny, Granny Rainwater, we called her mom, her house was just crazy. It was always filled with people. It was cluttery. There were always dishes in the sink. And if there weren't enough glasses to get more milk, you just take a glass and wipe it with a napkin and pour milk in it and drink out of it, whatever. We're all cousins. We're all related. It'll be fine. It, but everything to her was funny. I remember the night before she passed away, she was laughing in incredible pain. She was laughing because the lady next to her in the bed smoked a pipe. You could do that back in the hospital back in the day. And she was laughing about it. And she always made me feel so special. I was the youngest grandchild on both sides of my family until I had a, 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 a cousin on, a, a, a female cousin on each side came and supplanted my youngest child thing. Um, and I've tried to forgive them for that. They, I came really late in my parents' life. They thought I was a tumor. And no, I'm really serious. I came really late. And so my grandparents were, were, were very, very old. And even though on my, on my, my dad's side, I had a grandpa, mom was, the matriarch was the central figure. On my mom's side, I didn't know my grandpa on my mom's side. He died way before I was born, left with 10 kids at home. I had no concept of the fact that, that finance would have been a hard thing there. Her, her house was in perfect order. There was always food prepared. It, it, she sewed quilts. I've got several of them, but every grandchild got a quilt. But I was the youngest, so I have several of them. <laughs> and on my 18th birthday, she gave me a gift. I thought it was gone, and I was very sad about that. And Thursday, Wednesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Thursday night, I was cleaning out our storage room and organizing it and boxing it up, and Anita had helped me. We'd probably spent 12 hours in there, and I got to the very last bag that was down in the corner, and I, and I actually thought it was a garbage bag at first, but I stopped and I looked in it, and I found this. Do you guys remember these things? You would, these little cedar uh, things, and, and this one says Lincoln's birthplace, but you could put any stamp on it you wanted probably. And down in the bottom of this, and I knew it was there. There's a dollar. Given to me on my 18th birthday by Mommy Randolph. I knew by the time I was 18 that dollars were an incredible gift for her. You would have never known it, though, by her home because her home 
was always a place that we knew we were loved and we were cared for. Every one of us felt incredibly special there. I think that's what Thomas was looking for, this place of home. Verse 26 of John 28, days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. It looks like the same thing that's happening before But then he said to Thomas, there's that general announcement, but now he turns to Thomas. Thomas, you're not left out. You've not been abandoned. Maybe it felt like it. Maybe you came into this faith late. Maybe you felt like you'd been forgotten. But no, you haven't been forgotten. You're a part of this. You're remembered here. And Jesus speaks directly to him. Look what he says. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas knows this. He's not been forgotten. He has a father. He has a home. And he answers with these specific words, verse 28, my Lord and my God. That word, my Lord, it's It's the way the Septuagint translated the word for Yahweh. It's the highest word you can possibly give. The covenant name of God and my God. My Lord and my God. That's how Thomas answers. I think he got it. I think he understood. He didn't answer with words of theology. He didn't answer with words of epistemology or philosophy. He answered from his heart, from his belief. I think he got it. I want to show you a picture. This is my favorite picture. I've got a copy of this hanging in my wall in my office. This is Rembrandt's The Prodigal. You know this story. There is this boy, and Jesus is telling this to Jewish people so the meaning of it would be even deeper. There's this boy, and he says to his dad, I want my inheritance. Basically, he's saying this, you're dead to me. Because that's how you get your inheritance, right? And the boy goes away and he goes to a land and a famine hits and he wastes his money and he's starving. And here this, again, he's telling this story to Jewish people. This Jewish boy starts working with pigs. It doesn't get worse than that. And he wants to eat the slop of the pigs. We had pigs back on the farm. I know a little bit about pigs on my uncle's farm. I've fed those pigs before. The process The smells, it's horrible. I can't imagine wanting to eat that, but he was that hungry. He said, I would want this. And he says this, verse 17 of Luke 15. But he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But the text goes on to tell us that while he has made his way back towards his father, while he is far off, his father sees him. And he gets up and he had to have picked up his robes and 
Jewish men in robes didn't run, but this father ran and he found his son and he embraced his son. But here's the part of the story that to be honest with you, as we've been going through Galatians and and if you've been here, I've preached the same sermon for three months. This is the part that's made sense to me when I read this story that I didn't get before. I always thought the son who stayed back didn't get the father. Because he said, Dad, I've been here all along. I've been working. I've been faithful. But, but he did all this, and yet you received him back. I, I'm not sure either of the boys fully got what home really was. I'm not sure that the subject of this wasn't all the time the father. If you're a parent of, an, of a kid who's gone away to college, you know this. You take them to college, you drop them off, you tell them you're happy, but your heart's broken. You go back home and you go into their rooms and you go, where did those years go? They were in diapers forever, and now they're gone. And I can only imagine in this story, this father, how many times did he go into that room and he said, I want him back. But you read the text and it doesn't really feel like either boy got the love of the father. The one boy said, it's better there. And I, I, it's better than the pigs. The one boy said, I've worked all this time and, and, and I should be treated better. But it seems like neither fully got the deep, deep love that the father had for them. This is the gospel. That we are loved that way. It isn't about us. It isn't about how much we've done. It isn't about how hard we've tried. It's, it's not that we're being different now. It's not that God has, has changed us. It's, it, it's not that we're better people than we used to be. It's not any of that. Yeah, that's all part of it. It's not that we step into the lives of people that are, that are broken and help. It's not that we try to feed people that are lost. It's not that we go to the jails. We, we did some of all that this week in this church. It's not that we, we care for, for the widows and orphans, and we've done that this week in this church. Yeah, that's all part of what we do after, but if you miss this, if you miss the incredible love that the Father has, you miss the point. Can I just say this? I lived a lot of my faith years missing the point of the incredible love that God has for us. Don't miss that love. That's what home is. Home's not a place. When I step into eternity and I see Mommy Randolph and Mom and my Grandpa, who will probably look exactly the same, because, you know, I always say, I think we're 24 in heaven. Um, he'll just look the same. I'm not going to say, boy, can we go back to those houses? Can we go back to those houses and be there? No. 
Heaven is gonna be an amazing experience. The Bible describes it as a beautiful thing. But the most beautiful thing is the love of God. That's the most beautiful thing. And that starts here, now. And he invites you to come home. Thank you again for joining us on this Resurrection Sunday. I'm Myrna Brown.